to Changing the Sales Game on webtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Connie Webb. You know I'm happy that you're here. So here's the deal. As you listen to the show, you know, change, we, we hear we hear the word sales, I think, sometimes, or we're changing a sales program, or we're changing something in our organization, and immediately we go into panic. So to help you navigate changing your sales game, one of the key skills that I think is critical to every sales conversation communication. Um, we have two ears, one mouth. We should be listening twice as much as we speak, and we often don't. So to help you navigate your communication challenges, in the show notes, you'll find my uh, gift to you, which is my communication style assessment. Two reports. One will spotlight just your natural communication superpowers, how your message is landing on the other human that you're speaking with. Flip side, your lowest score typically a blind spot, you'll get a secondary report spotlighting how that messaging might be landing for people who communicate opposite of you. So again, that is my gift to you. I truly hope it helps you navigate whatever conversations you're having in your career, in your business, especially with that sales uh, game component. Now, to set the stage for my guests and I and for our conversation, I want to start with a quote by John D. Rockefeller. And John says... Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Love that quote. Good is the enemy of great. And yet sales leaders, I feel they either hire the wrong team members or they hire correctly, but then they don't provide the support or the long-term training that might be needed. Unfortunately, I probably have more stories than I'd like to admit here where I've had the worst of the worst of the worst in sales leadership throughout my corporate career and hiring the right people, developing the right people, building a high performing team. I don't think it's rocket uh, science, yet so many organizations go through this churn and burn revolving door instead of trying that development route. So why? Why does this happen? I'm glad you asked. So my amazing guest today is the great Chet Levgreen. Now, Chet, with over 11 years of sales and sales leadership experience, he started the Sales Doctor. By the way, Chet, I love that name. The Sales Doctor in 2020 to provide a prescriptive approach to revenue problems and struggling, uh, and struggling go to market strategies. Chet's helped build sales processes and teams leading to companies successfully raising over a hundred million in VC funds. He also follows a prescriptive approach to solving revenue problems. He provides go-to market professionals with the practical and tactical information to stop the revenue bleeding from archaic practices and methods. So please help me welcome Chet to the show. Thanks Chet for being on. Thank you, Connie. And you can tell marketing wrote that intro for me. So (laughs) sorry, we had to make you go through that. (laughs) It's a mouthful. I'm always like, can we just tell people I'm a sales trainer and consultant? Like, isn't that just easier? And they're like, no, we have to really hit on everything. And I'm like, okay, fine. But I have to tell you, I can tell that you've done this well for a good amount of time because you didn't get tripped up on the prescriptive word. Everybody always says that and they go prescriptive, prescriptive. They always get tripped up. So you did a fantastic job. I Thank you, you sir. See, that's my sales background. I like to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. So let's jump in and be careful here because remember, I do sales training too. So let's talk about why doesn't the tra- traditional sales training and that enablement work well, the the first problem is that, unfortunately, most sales enablement teams are led by people who have never actually done sales. I don't think I've seen many people that have done sales actually do sales enablement. 
in my research, it's shown that a lot of people that do sales enablement typically work in like product management. Maybe they were like a cold caller for a little bit of time, but they've, you've really got to, I think, lead a sales team at some point in your life to be able to move over to sales enablement. I have pretty much run sales enablement internally myself in any W2 job I've ever had as a sales leader. We didn't really have a sales enablement team and I can see why that was beneficial. I was my own internal department's sales enablement team. I worked with marketing to take the jargon and the words and the copy and make that actionable for people that understand it while also working with CS, our customer success or account management team and support team to understand how customers are talking about our product or services and then kind of molding the two. Cause that's, that's the big alignment that needs to happen. And sales is really in the middle when it comes to that. Right. We're taking the incredible branded copy buzzwords that marketing's give us. We're taking the way that customers actually talk about it. And we're trying to put it in a way that makes someone want to take action in a very digestible, quick manner because people don't want to scan through big, long emails or big, huge one pagers anymore. Right. We want quick to the point, bite-sized, digestible, actionable pieces of content and copy. And so, you know, and how you talk about that in discovery, how do you talk about that on a cold call? What are the provoking questions that you need to, to ask? And that's tough to do if all you've ever done is read about it, which a lot of sales enablement people, unfortunately, have done. They've just read about it. They haven't or they've watched calls, but they've never really actually had to do it themselves. Think on their feet, be quick, be adaptable, be agile. And so I think that's one of the biggest struggles is that there's not enough people that have had a hand in building sales teams and sales processes working in sales enablement. Um I get why sales enablement roles don't pay anywhere near what a VP of sales director, sales, senior account executive, SDR manager could make. So it makes complete sense um, that we would kind of look at it as like, we want someone with some sales acumen, but it's more about product and content management. Yeah. So we're going to pay that kind of salary. Maybe some companies will include a little tiny annual bonus or maybe like a monthly tiny bonus if we hit numbers, things like that. But usually you could make more just being an account executive, if anything. So why wouldn't you take that role if you're a seller? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's that's one of the biggest problems. The second biggest problem is that people don't take science into account. Um, you know, I show people I'm, I'm a firm believer of, you know, PowerPoints were never meant to be shared and not narrated, but PowerPoints were never meant to be narrated word for word, slide decks, whatever you want to call them for the sake of the argument. We'll just say PowerPoints. Yep. And I'm sure you've seen tons of trainings where it's like, OK, yes, I can read the bullet points, too. And. I wish we could have death to title, column one, picture, stock image picture, column two bullet points about what we're talking about. The majority of the world are visual learners. So if you can't put an emphasis on creativity and visual learning in your presentations, you're going to fail. And most people don't. And most what people get when they're going through onboarding and enablement is a slide deck that is title, stock image, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Or they're reading off a Google, you know, drive doc created handbook. That's a bunch of links and to calls you can listen to and processes and stuff like that, that we have documented out word for word. Most people aren't, don't, don't read that. Don't learn that way. They're, they are visual learners and they need to see something. Um, and then you mix the other data point, which is Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve. People forget 87% of what they learn within the first 30 days. Right. So how do you combat that? How do you make sure that 
you know, the information that you're giving on day one is somehow reiterated on day three and then re again reiterated on day six. So you're extending that delay of that, you know, that, that forgetting curve essentially, because you have to keep reiterating and hitting on the information. Then the third big problem is once they're onboarded, we kind of stop there and they're only meeting cadences, typically weekly sales meetings, which is not training, coaching or support. That's just a giant memo uh, that we talk about that sales leaders get their FaceTime in. And then the second thing is weekly one-on-ones, which again, they mixed, we, we should not be training or coaching in a weekly one-on-one. That's merely support. It's your job as a sales leader to support the person that's in the role, facilitate the relationship between the company and the person that is sitting in the seat that needs to justify the ROI of sitting in that seat. That's right. And there might be some training and coaching that happens in that one-on-one, but it's major, the majority of it should be What's going on with you and how can I support you? And it should be more geared towards like some strategy. And of course, people are going to be trained a little bit when they see new strategy and they're going to be coached up and learn new things when you talk about strategy. But that shouldn't training and coaching shouldn't be the focal point. It should be how can we get this deal across the board? Because I need it to close as a sales leader as much as you need to close as an individual contributor. So those three things, you know, the sales enablement function, not being comprised of the right individuals based on multitude of factors that we covered, ebbing houses for getting curve. And then post onboarding, coaching, training, and upskilling cadences and confusing coaching and training when we should be supporting people. Yeah. And I just, it, there was an article uh, posted and it, it hurt, it hurt me <laughs> to read this, but the CEOs that are approached by sales doesn't matter what they're selling, right? Cause organizations need so many different resources out there, right? Or, or tools, products, whatever it might be. And I, I want to say of it, it was quite a vast, um, a survey. of the CEOs that were interviewed or surveyed, 80, they said 84% of them felt that the salesperson showed up ill-equipped and just not prepared and that Mm -hmm. they were reading scripts. So they're not being coached, trained what exactly what you're saying. We're throwing them into the fire and yet we're not giving them the, the, the verbiage, the, the, whatever it is, the skill that they need. And I see this all the time. Again, this hurts me when I see it. They'll say, you're not performing. So I'll say to you, okay, Chad, in our one-on-one for the week, they're doing the one-on-ones. We're doing the one-on-ones, Con, and they'll say, okay, Chad, how many calls did you make? And you say, okay, I made 20 new client calls, 10 COI calls, whatever. And they go, all right, well, your numbers aren't there, so let's double it. Make 40 calls and then 20 COI calls, and let's see what happens next month. Meanwhile... I never listened to Chet on the phone, <laughs> realizing that Chet, not great on the phone. He's friendly in real life on the phone. He loses something. Maybe he's a little hard of hearing. I didn't know that when I fired him. So instead of coaching to get better on the phone, I've just created more angst, more stress. And oh, by the way, no improved results. What a waste of time of the one-on-one of the execution, the whole thing. And then the other thing I wanted to comment on, it again, this this makes me hurt because uh, coming up through the ranks when I was in corporate, you know, a hundred years ago, they had product managers. We had um, admin guys that ran the sales. And this is, I swear to God, Chet, this is a true story. They changed my territory um, because I'm a high performer. I work hard. They know that they took for me to give to a lower performer, right? So that they can make their numbers. It's all a game because they knew Connie will work harder. She'll do double the amount of work Mm -hmm. to make her numbers. So I dig in. So I went to my boss and I said, look, I'm really, really struggling this new branch. I can't, I just can't get the, the um, access I need. 
You know what he said to me? He goes, well, on a Sunday while you're watching football, pull out the yellow pages, <laughs> go to that town, get those numbers and call them. I said, thank you very much. I, I remember coming off that meeting at night saying to my husband, I'm looking for another job. That yeah. I went ser- sincerely saying, I don't know what I'm missing. Can you help me? And he said, while you're watching football, go to the yellow pages. That was back in the day. So they're they're promoting people who don't understand how to generate that revenue, right? By, by the good in, the good out, right? You have garbage in, you get garbage out. So all of those things you said, I was like, I broke it to hives a little bit, people. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about it. how can companies then improve that whole onboarding program for those new reps or managers so that you, you don't have that 84% statistic or the loss of learning and all the things you talked about um, with the first question. Well, number one, my answer, my, my ultimate answer is not solvable because I would almost say pay sales enablement like you pay everybody else. Um, not, I mean, it's harder to think of bonuses, but I mean, hey, that should be the benefit. Like if, if your sales director or director of sales or sales, let's call it what it is, sales manager is on set to make a 300,000 OT, 150, 150, for example, then I think the person that's enabling that person's team that's responsible for onboarding people and keeping the material and, and, and discover what kind of responsibility that person is going to have post onboarding to sure. the team and how they're going to support them. Sure. Why do we pay that person 125 out the door? It's a little crazy to me. I know there's unit economics, but you need to shift things around. Then maybe you pay your sales manager, 125, 125, and you fork out a little bit more salary for an actual sales enablement person. So the person that, could be a great director of sales and a great coach and a great sales trainer can decide, you know what? I'd rather just take the 175 salary guarantee to go knock it out of the park here. Whereas in other companies, I could make 125 base and then maybe another 100K. I'm, I'm willing to take 50K less for the year. Yeah. I think the comp structure needs to be thought about, needs to be tr- changed. Um, or the second answer, which is a shameless self plug, but it's for me and anybody in my field. <laughs> Eliminate your sales enablement and go hire on-demand coaches and outside voices to help come in and build something that's scalable that that's your right. frontline managers can run on their own. That's that's the trick here is, I hate to say it, but with the rise of LinkedIn gurus giving advice out to people unsolicited on the public interwebs and the rise of work from home, is it any, you know, is it any surprised that we've seen a huge decline in quota attainment and we're seeing massive unexpected. We didn't hit our numbers. So we're laying people off. I understand there's, you know, macroeconomic things going on. There's wars in the world, whatever. I know companies are still hitting quota and you know why they're hitting quota because they're, they don't have a massive sales enablement team built out because their frontline managers are actually doing the work and they're not just sitting behind dashboards and spreadsheets all day. And they're actually coaching people. If you're a first line leader, you should be spending at least 50% of your time with your people minimum. And a lot of people don't, you know what, a, you know what a standard VP of sales and SAS's week looks like in terms of people front people facing time. I have my one hour weekly sales meeting, which is just me talking for 45, 50 minutes. And I have my weekly one-on-ones with each of my reps. Let's say I have seven reps. That's it. And, and also, why are they a VP of sales if they're frontline managers? Basically, <laughs> they're not really a VP of sales in my opinion. You don't have a sales director working under your sales manager, but that's, that's what it looks like. I've never worked in an org or even consulted with an org where that looked different. I've never done it. Part of the reason people bring me in because they're like, hey, we want to create team trainings and we want to do more one-on-one coaching and weekly one-on-one coaching. But what is that person doing with the rest of their time? 
is it any wonder that they're out of office all the time or they're flying every Friday to go play golf somewhere with their brother? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why are we so adverse to doing the things that we need to do? And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing a lot more sales leaders get laid off recently. I've seen a ton of sales leaders get laid off in the last six months after a bunch of individual contributors were laid off for a year. I think companies were like, hmm, maybe it's not just the people. Maybe it's actually people running the people. Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. A hundred percent, because I, I think that we people are abusing work from home and I really don't think they're working as much as they should be. And I see it because I've been in that position. I've gone into an org where a founder is like, look, I have a VP, actually a game head of sales title. We're bringing in three and a half million ARR. We want to get to six by the end of the year. This was in 2023. They have four account executives and two SDRs that are setting appointments what are we doing wrong? And this is a founder that I've known for a while. They wanted to open up the kimono. Let me see the books and all that stuff. And I go in and I go, you know what, Frank, personally, after looking at everything, I think you need to do a time audit of your head of sales as crappy and as babysitting micromanaging as that sounds, because I'm hearing directly from the founder. What do you, what's your relationship of work that you're having them do on a weekly basis or decks every quarter? Um, weekly sales meeting deck. I could whip one of those things up in 15, 20 minutes based on the way the meeting was going. Right. I think there's yeah. more requirement that goes into a sales meeting, but the way this person was running sales meetings, I'm like, I could whip that thing up in 15 minutes. They're not hopping on calls with people, you know, doing discovery calls with newer reps, hopping yeah. into negotiation calls with deals that need to get pushed across. Line. So founder doesn't have this person doing a lot of work. Other departments don't have this person doing a lot of work. And they're spending less than 10 hours a week on their people. So what the heck are they doing with their time? Safe to say that head of sales was not there in three months. Mm. Because once that time audit came through and there was a little bit more pressure to do the actual work that was being paid out. And these people make great money. You know, head of sales, VP of sales, they're making 150 to 225 per year. Minimum, just salary. Minimum. And then, and then bonus. Yeah, another 40% or 50% based on the comp scale, maybe yeah. an annual bonus. They already have a severance package up front if things don't work out. Os- yeah. Options, depending on you know RSUs, depending on the, the, the stage of the company. But they act like they're just like entitled account executives that are just sitting back waiting for the opportunity to come to them. And it's mind-blowing. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we're facing right now. And then I go into an org where you know I see a team hitting and I look at their manager and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's because this person is doing all these extra things. So... How do we fix it? I think it depends on what lens you're looking through. Am I a founder? Am I a sales leader myself? Yeah. Uh, am I someone who's working cross collaboratively with sales and I need them to perform better? So how do I nudge that team in the right direction? I think it's keeping an eye out on those things. Like, do we feel that the team is doing the right things in terms of their workload? Like, are we working on the right tasks? That's the first thing I always look at with SDRs and AEs when they're not hitting numbers. Sales activity numbers aside. Are you prioritizing the right tasks? That's Why right. are you over here doing cold outreach when you have 40 people you've established contact in the last three months who haven't moved forward to the next step? That would be the first person I want to talk to above and beyond someone I've never connected with. Because I know the phone number works. I know they work at the company. I have their LinkedIn profile and I know their email works too. And I know that they'll pick up the phone or respond to an email. So why are we going and talking to, you know, Sally, what's her name and Joe, who's his name when we already know that Connie's going to pick up the phone and she's going to talk to us and she knows who we are and she knows what we do and the problem we solve. We just need to highlight how we can help her. It's just mind blowing. So it's usually task prioritization, bad time management skills. And sometimes it is, it is a lack of like, it's, it's, I'm the sales leader and I've earned this 
And I see that a lot, especially yeah. from first time VPs and heads of sales. It's I've earned this. I deserve to go clock out every other Friday and go do whatever I want. Yeah. I deserve to, you know, take a break as much as I want. And it's just, it's just bad. It's really bad. And it's part of what I think is really a big problem right now. You know, what's so funny and, and it's accountability. I think everybody is mm-hmm. so afraid. And whenever I say that word to, you know, the executives or whoever I'm working with and I go accountability, I don't mean, okay, they're not performing, fire them. That that's not accountability. We yeah. might have to fire you. If you don't, yeah. if you're not accountable to what, you know, here are the numbers, here are the goals. You didn't meet the month, year in, well, month in, month out, quarter in, quarter out, whatever. Why am I keeping you? And the other thing, I see this lack of engagement across the board. So when I read that article about the CEOs feeling their, their sales reps are coming in, um, not prepared. Well, are you surprised because they're not getting any reinforcement? And I know with a lot of my, comp- my corporations, the uh, team leaders, Sometimes it's an, an internal problem where the organization is like, well, we need a report for that and a report for that. And can you be in this meeting? So me as the sales leader, I should be with my people 80% of the time and in meetings and reporting and all that other stuff. 20% of the time they flip mm-hmm. flop it. Well, if I'm in meetings 35 hours a week, how could I pot or reporting or whatever it is? So I thought your idea when you said it's like you're micromanaging, but I oftentimes say, I need you to do two weeks and every every time you do something, what was the time? How long did it take? And then prioritize it, rank it one to five. Was it a low priority item or was it a high priority item? And I'm telling we see a lot of admin work, busy work where that becomes the priority because it's tangible and visible. Then did you make enough phone calls? So it, it, mm-hmm. it, and, and people lie too. <laughs> I made 50 phone calls. They made two, you know, that kind of thing. So you have a little bit. Now we can measure that on the back end a little bit better with the technology, but they're the things that I see as well. We're, we're being and, and no, sometimes yes, the individual I've earned this, I've arrived, right? So now I'm going to sit back and earn my paycheck like those before me. But I also think some of the time is they're bogged down with stuff. And it goes back to what you said with the prioritization. They're, they're, it's not really a prior. I have this objective, but I'm not giving you the tools, the bandwidth, the manpower, the time to maximize to that, um, whatever that accountability measure is. Cause I have you in meetings. So I think it's a, here's, here's the long and short of it. In my opinion, I think the corporate structure needs to, um, be tweaked. Like you were saying that, you know, kind of manage this, tweak that, give over there, take from here. I, I think we have to look at that at a macro level and then like kind of zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in. Does it, does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. It, and that's why I say it all depends on the lens you're looking at. Yeah. I love like, Especially that. in this specific use case, founders like, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe you have them on a lot of meetings, Frank. Maybe you want like, no, I meet with them. I mean, we have our all hands once a month. Uh, we meet for our weekly one-on-one. Other than that, they're at the mercy of whatever they need to get done. I don't, I don't meet with them other than that. I mean, I'll take a phone call if they call me. I'm not here to not support them. And it's like, okay, well, maybe they're on like a lot of these like sales to marketing alignment calls. Marketing leader says, Oh yeah, we have an hour sales and marketing call every week, uh, department call, but, but this person hasn't been to one for like the last two weeks. They keep canceling. Okay. Well, maybe they have a lot of like sales to CS alignment calls. I mean, think about it. Like, what else do we need to sit on? You know, you don't. And that's the thing, too. Then if you look through the lens of the VP of sales, who's like, well, I want to do this chat, but I don't have time. I'm on 30 hours of meetings a week. Okay, find five meetings that are totally useless. that are taking up five hours a week and have the courage to say, you know what? You want me to perform my number? I don't need to sit on a call with product 
to learn about this thing we're pushing out. That's right. You tell me what we're pushing out. We'll figure out how to sell it. And if we think it's totally wonky and there's something that just doesn't make sense, we'll voice our opinion. But I don't need to like control the situation because at the end of the day, products going to push out whatever they want to push out. Okay. I've seen sales leaders be on some really dumb calls where it's like, okay, well, what do you care more about? Like, you, you know, you, you talk to your boss, they can't argue with you saying, I need to spend more time with my team. If we're going to sell the problem is that most founders have been in this and CEOs have been in this business long enough that when they hear that they go, I want to put more meetings with my reps on the, on the, on the calendar to get out of these other meetings that I'm just going to end up canceling anyway, because that then happens. Oh, everybody, I'm just pushing. And I've seen that happen with sales leaders too. Oh, I'm going to push our weekly uh, group coaching call or, Hey, our weekly training. I'm actually going to push it off. I, I got stuff that came up today. Well, and then the stuff that came up, this, the sales sellers are like, Oh, they have something going on. Maybe founder CEO or other department needs them. Founder, CEO, other department that needs them is like, oh, they just push the meeting off. So there's, there's like a, it's a, it's, it's really about, uh, there are a lot of sales leaders that just stay siloed and they stay in their corner. And my reps know what they know. My department heads know what they know. My boss knows what they know. And they kind of like just compartmentalize is really what they're doing. Yeah. And so internally, you know who you are if you're listening and that's you. But if you are someone who's like, no, Chet, like I really don't have the time. Like, like you were saying, Connie, like I'm on 35 hours a week. A week then you need to figure out that prioritization. Look, at at a core, what do you need as a sales leader? I need to meet with marketing once a week. I need to meet with CS and support once a week. I need to meet with my founder, my CEO, whoever's in charge of me once a week. Above and beyond that, what else do you really need to be doing? You need to be getting your team enabled, maybe meeting with RevOps, whoever's getting you your lists and your lead. Like, yeah, there are some other things, but five to 10 hours of operational work a week, you should be able to double, if not, triple that amount that you're spending there with your team. And if it's more than that, then that's why I think in terms of what you said, the org structure is broken. Yeah. Um, you know, did are you hiring someone to run the business unit and coach and train and upskill the team? And look, if they don't have time, great. Bring in people like me or Connie and we'll help your team. You know, you need, yeah. you need 15 extra hours of coaching and training for your team a week. There's people that can help that, you know, Absolutely. on a fractional basis. So Absolutely. it's about like that task prioritization again. Do we care about this product that we're releasing for our logistics software that's launching uh, this little feature, small feature set. That's probably actually going to go nowhere that only like eight clients are really requesting, but we're going to build it out anyway. Cause what the heck are we paying product for? If they're not going to code and develop something, are you going to sit on an hour a week meetings about that? Or are you going to save that 15 hours over the next, you know, three months next quarter and put that time on your team to be able to coach and develop them. And that's the problem is we don't have, task prioritization. Look, people are still people. SDRs, AEs, customer success managers who struggle with task prioritization to end up moving into frontline and second line leadership, they still struggle with the same thing. That's like the one thing that doesn't get solved. And so it's about what am I prioritizing and what am I focused on? And you need to put your foot down if if you're being bogged down with useless junk. I think a couple of things too, uh, Chet. Unfortunately, when some people, the boss says, I need you in this meeting, and we we turn around because we we want to honor right the boss the CEO whoever it is that I report to, but on the same token we have to find our voice to say listen I'd love to do that but my goals are blah 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 
and we're not going to, we're on, we're not on pace to do that. I'd rather take that extra two hours and do a couple of more calls. We're free to articulate what we need because we're, sometimes it's a blind spot. We don't know specifically what we need, but we're also afraid to give pushback. Well, they're the boss. They know, they know I'm not making my numbers, but they're asking me to cover this meeting. Let me, let me go and do it. That's number one. And I think that lack of communication is a, the silos, right? Why do we have silos? Because nobody wants to talk to anybody because my job's more important than yours and the product is more important. And, and it's like, no, 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 we're all going and we're all pushing the boulder up the same hill here. How about we all put our hands on the boulder? We're going to get up there a heck of a lot faster, but we have to communicate about which hand and where to put it and all of that. So lack of communication, I think, is a big one. And that's what that that doubles, doubles down on the silos. And I, and I, and the prioritization, I, I, when I meet with people and I think, well, show me again, like that timeline, show me. And when I look and I get like 30 hours of your day is spent on one, a, a task that's ranked as a one, look at all these fives you have over there and you only spent an hour on them. We have to flip the script, right? We have to turn the, the turn the, the, the pyramid upside down, if you will. Scary. We're human. We're only human after all. Mm-hmm. Here's a great line. If you're, if your boss is throwing you on a call that you don't think is going to be relevant, say, I could totally show up. I would prefer to prioritize my team and enabling them and getting some of these deals across the finish line and helping us get prepared for next quarter with outreach. Do you think by having me on this call, I'm going to make the meeting at least 40% better or more? 40% rule. If I'm not, and that's a good number too, because if you say 20%, they're like, yeah, I think you'd at least add 20% more value to the call with having you on 50%. Everybody knows the number 50. So it's a good pattern or up to bring it a little bit lower because that actually gets someone to think, what do they do when they hear 40? They round it up to 50. Do I think you'll do at least 50%, make this call at least 50% better by having you on? Well, probably not. So 40%. No, I don't think you will. Okay. Then I don't need to join. If I'm not going to add and make this meeting 40% more valuable by joining or more, then I don't need to be there. Yes, this said actually has, then you have your leader justify why they're putting on this call. Yes, Connie, because we're going to be talking about our go-to-market strategy with this new product, how we're going to combine all the closed loss reasons for product feature gap functionality, and then the free text field of additional reason to make sure that we can scope for this product feature. Maybe get a list of 30 people. Marketing is going to work on this. So I really need you there to talk about that lead handoff process the cold outreach process for deals we already lost because we didn't have this feature. So yes, I think you're going to add like 80% more value by being on this meeting or no, it's really just a bunch of product updates from products. So I don't even think you'd add an, add anything to this meeting. You're more of just an attendee. So no, yeah, skip this meeting. I'll just send it out. You know, we'll send you the transcript and a memo. We're going to send exactly it out to right. everybody afterwards. So get your leader to justify and think holistically why you're on the meeting. Because sometimes, sometimes, right, Connie, they don't know any better. And they're just like, I think this person should be on the call because they're, yeah. they're part of our go to market team. Yeah. So they should be involved in the conversation, but it's like, well, what percent of value am I going to add to the conversation? Cause if it's not a lot, and I, I did that happen all the time. When I first started in management, I was leading SDR teams. I get thrown in calls where we were making decisions about things. I was like, nobody, my head, in my head, I was like, nobody respects my opinion anyway. Nobody's going to care what my opinion is. So I'd always say like, Hey, am I going to add like 40% or more value of being on this call? Well, no, cause you're not going to be able to make the decision. We're going to pretty much make it. I mean, if we need something, I can ping you on Slack. No, this okay. Go, yeah. go do some more coaching or whatever, right? Because I'm like, why am I sitting in here talking about what competitive intelligence software we're going to buy when I'm on the losing decision side of every decision we've ever made on any tool that we had tried to purchase yeah. or go to market tech stack? Yeah. There's no reason I should be here. So I think that's another way to get them to think holistically. Am I just throwing this person on the call or do I actually need this person on the call and are they going to add value? Am I going to add 40% yeah. or more value to this call by being there? 
So I think if they could define the culture, right, if we define what the culture is, what the expectation is, and everybody's playing on the same field, I think that helps. But you're right. If, if, if you're not telling me what the meeting's about, but you want me to be there, I love that, that 40%. That's such a good pattern interrupt. Um, and then again, it makes the boss stop and think, you know what? No, <laughs> I could send you the transcripts. Just now you've just freed up my time. It's so funny, Chet. I remember uh, years ago, my husband came home pre COVID and it was a Friday. He was so tired. I go, why are you so tired? He goes, kind. I was in meetings 42 hours. Like he would come home late or whatever. And so I looked at him and I went, huh? And I said, well, when are you going to do the work? And he goes, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem, right? That's on a Sunday while I'm watching football. <laughs> right? Yeah, it goes full circle. Um, we're almost out of time, but I really I want to ask one more, more question. We keep talking about mm-hmm. culture and accountability. Why do sales teams, do you think, or have you observed, have such a hard time building those cultures and holding that accountability to the performance, right? It, it, the, the numbers are real. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's purely top-down. And it's actually funny. There was quite a thread on Reddit in the uh, sales thread on Reddit the other day. There was, I don't know. I'm not cool enough that I actually know how they call it. So there's a sales thread and then there's like other comments and people yeah. create threads on there. I'm not sure how, how people talk about how Reddit's structured, but I like to go there sometimes to see what people are talking about. Yeah. And somebody posted this thing the other day and they said, is it just me or all founders and CEOs idiots? And Ooh. I just opened the thread and it was like 80 people responding. And I was reading through all the comments. And I said to myself, you know what? Unfortunately, in, and this isn't a catch all, but there are a lot of founders where it's like, like, think about the model that we're in and why so many companies are trying to go, you know, IPO because investors want their money. I, I need a liquidity event so I can get my money out. Like Reddit is not profitable, but somehow they're valued at 5 billion. They're going to IPO. Those investors are going to cash your stocks out and they're going to run. It's the same. People don't understand that most companies, especially, and I'm speaking of software sales specifically here, but it's a very large number of the sales culture is SaaS. Most of these companies are not profitable. Mm. They're not. They're just influxing cash from investors mm. until they potentially get profitable. I mean, look at Uber. They weren't profitable until like three years ago. Mm. They've been around for a decade and they weren't profitable, mm. constantly losing money, but people still investing money in them. And so founders to me in a lot of scenarios, unfortunately, are people who don't want to have a day job and they want their day job to be being a founder. And this is why VPs of sales, CROs, heads of sales, sales managers, directors of sales have an 18 month average tenure. Oh, because the founder brings them in, gives them a number. They don't hit it because of a myriad of things. And then when the board goes, chat, why didn't we hit our number? We gave you $10 million last year, man. We're not even getting close. Oh, uh, you know what? It's so-and-so. It's not, they're not a good sales leader. And the, we need to think about getting them out. And then they're on their three-month exit plan, right? So yep. 12 months, then their three-month exit plan. Maybe they last six months longer. So that's why their 18 months comes in. Yeah. You have some people who make it two years. Well, we gave them year one. It's like the NFL. We gave them year one. Didn't really work out the way we want. Let's give them another year. Nah, it didn't work. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Second year. And it starts at the founder. It starts at the founder. And is this a, is this a job so that they can call themselves a founder so they can hobnob with people that are better than them so that they don't have to really report to anybody above them other than their board. And they can say they're a founder of a company and maybe reach exit. Cause I've met a lot of founders and that's how it feels. 
it feels like this person has no business running a business. This person should still be a CTO or a CRO or a sales manager, or even now there's a lot of individual contributors who are going and creating their own products, you know, because of the thanks to chat GPT and no code yeah. tools, everything's AI now. And so it's, unfor- and it's unfortunate that, you know, people are so quick to jump and invest funds in a, per- in a, in a company, in a product over a person. Yeah, yeah. And that's what puts us in a position where we have a lot of founders who they like the title, just like there are a lot of sales leaders who just like the title. I've earned this. And so it starts from there. And mm. then if you have the flip side of that, then you have people who just want to instill culture for the sake of culture. Yeah. And they're prideful about that. But then there's no understanding about the fact that like, you're right. Accountability is at an all time low, but that's because we're mislabeling a lack of accountability and calling it empathy. They're not the same. Empathy does not mean a lack of accountability. So the problem Connie is that in my opinion, we've got two complete different spectrums and people don't know how to toe in the middle. We have the, you know, I don't really care. I'm a founder. I've earned the title, you know, this, that, the other, the toxic founder, which is the majority of founders I meet, unfortunately, and then we have the founders who are too far on the other end where they're like, oh, it's all about sunshine and rainbows and hold yeah. everybody's hand and this and that. And then you get this problem now where it's like, but we don't have any accountability. Yeah. So we don't have any culture. We don't have any accountability Yeah. about finding that great middle ground. How do you do yeah. that? Hey, if I had that secret sauce, I'd be a multimillionaire. It's seriously. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'd probably be a, a multi, you know, billion dollar investor that invests in the right companies because I can recognize the two. I think there are a lot of little things you can do along the way. And I think some of the things we talked about in this conversation, like, you know, as a leader, task prioritizing, taking into consideration the forgetting curve, yeah. um, working to make, you know, add a little bit more value to people that want to choose sales enablement. Yeah. Or bringing in outside experts to help or even enable bringing in outside experts to help enable your frontline managers to run their own sales department specific sales enablement function. Yeah. And, you know, maybe having your sales enablement person basically be a collaborator of projects because they're just managing everything that the individual departments are doing because the individual department leaders are their own sales enablement function yeah. because they're enabling their people. So it's, I think by thinking about some of those things, You'll get to a position where now we're more accountable. We have an open line of communication. CEOs not just throw in the VPS sales on calls because they think they should. We're actually asking the questions to make sure that we should should. be there. Yeah. And we actually have an expectation for our people. I mean, there's a whole thing we didn't talk about here, which is a whole nother subset of this, which I put in my keynotes and workshops about coaching cadences. What should my coaching cadence look like? What is the difference between coaching and training? And how do those overlap? What is the true purpose of a one-on-one? What is a coaching framework? Yeah. Like these are all extra things that if we actually look at, we investigate, we try to do correctly. Now we create a culture where people are like, wow, they're actually, de- they're actually committed to my development as an individual contributor. And I want to be here and I want to work here. And the people that don't like all that extra stuff that happens, that extra requirement of accountability with your development as a seller they get out quicker. And so there's less toxicity, right? Absolutely. Think about COVID, the COVID spread. What's the worst thing that can happen? If you have 200 people in a room and a hundred of them have COVID, it's very likely that the other hundred people are going to get COVID in that room, right? But if you have 200 people in a room and five of them have COVID, you're a lot less likely that the other 195 people are going to get COVID. And so that's a part of culture is like, how fast can you get rid of the toxic sludge for lack of a better word? And that's by having things in place where it's, hey, to whom much is given, much is required. You're a VP of sales with an OTE of 350K. This is what I expect of you. 
that's over a quarter of a million dollars. Well yeah. over it, right? Yeah. Well, this yeah. is what I expect of you. This isn't just showing up, sitting at your computer and getting spreadsheets for me. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot more than that. Hit and refresh on your dashboard all day long. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot it's, more than that. It's wild, but here's, and, and this is the last thing I'll say before I share all your information. Um, everything you said is, is mind blowing. And I agree. And I see it to some extent on my, on my end. I'm dealing mostly with banks and credit unions. So I find the CEOs are thoughtful. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, some of them are better at others with the collaboration of bringing their teams in who have the expertise or bringing the sales and the marketing together. Say, Hey, Connie's telling me on the sales side, this is what the clients are saying. Yet on the marketing side, you're, you're promoting whatever the jargon is. Hey, you guys really need to meet. Let's find some common ground because we want the, we want the ship to write itself. Right. So some of my CEOs do that really, really well. And everybody at the, at the table understands the vision with the execution. And then sometimes I'll come in and they say, we don't know what we don't know. And I'm okay with that too, because at least they know we're missing something. We're not sure what we're missing, right? They're blind spots. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is first step, I think, is always coming in and evaluating what are you doing and what's working. Cool. And then let's look at what are you doing, but where are the missteps? Where are the blind spots? Where are we not getting the revenue or the, the uh, mileage that we want? Now we have something tangible to work with to say, ah, empathy isn't a bad thing, but let's talk about how we can be empathetic with our accountability. Right. So I, I think it becomes, it's communication. It always boils down to we're working with freaking humans. We have to mm-hmm. learn how to. Talk to each other, diagnose each other, support each other. Um, my message, if I'm coaching you, is it, and, and I had one, um, coach early in my career, a chat where I, I came in with a million dollar policy and he said to me, why didn't you sell two million? Like, like you're, you're on a high and he'd squish me. Um, we'd come out of a call and, and I didn't push for the sale because I didn't think it was ready yet. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I, sell through love, care, and respect, right? That's kind of my mantra. And we'd get in the car, you idiot, you moron, you're never going to be successful. You're going to live in the street, like yelling at me. That's not okay. (laughs) This is what we see. We see the empathetic. We see the, I'm not going to do anything. And then you see the ones they think to motivate you is by screaming at you. Like, Can we evaluate? So now we're making a good decision of what really needs to happen to move forward and, and get the return on investment in time. We're, we're quick to put fixes on. It's like I, I call it putting the Band-Aid on the dam. Like yeah. we have these, these holes. <laughs> let's put a Band-Aid on it. Oh, yeah, that's going to hold really well, right? Yeah. Um, Chet, we could talk all day, brother. So here's the deal, everybody. If you need a little more chat in your life, especially if you're in the tech world, because that is not my zone of genius at all, um, please reach out to Chet. It's Chet at the sales doc, D-O-C-R-X.com. Website is the sales doc, R-X.com. And you do have the newsletter. I have the link for the sales doc, uh, sales doc, dot sales. The sales doc, rx.com newsletter. But then you also said on your website, you have some other cool things for the listeners. Yeah, there's a resource tab at the top and there's previous versions of my digital or my virtual sales podcast that I had. Cool. Um, it's different format. Now we do it in person in a studio with my, with a consistent co-host, but I have all the old, uh, virtual meetings up there, Content. downloadable resources, ebooks, stuff like that. Um, that are all up there along with the newsletter. And I want to add the newsletter isn't, uh, I had a newsletter before it was cool. Uh, and I encourage people to check it out. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe because my whole commitment is like provide actionable 
sales, but business focused sales content yeah. in less than two minutes every week. So in my head, it's like, if you can't dedicate two to five minutes a week to learning something shiny and new, I mean, do you have any business being in sales? So yeah, uh, that's my take on it. Love it's it. not very verbose. It's not very, um, you know, text heavy with a bunch of paragraphs. It's not like a blog post inside of it. It's literally like okay. intro. Three insights, conclusion, have a good week. You know yeah. I mean? Love so, it. Quick hit. It's, it's a drive-by. Cool. It's a drive-by. Yeah, it's a drive-by. <laughs> pop, pop, pop. There you go. <laughs> hey, I grew up in Newark. Clip. <laughs> I grew up in Newark, Chet, during the riot. So, yeah, there were drive-bys, let me tell you. And I, yeah. I remember the gunfire at night. So, there you go. That's where that must have come out. The youth of Connie just came out. You saw it live there here on, on Changing the Sales Game. <laughs> Kiddo, thanks for being on, Chet. I really appreciate it. I could talk sales all day. Um, love seeing your generation um, become really proficient at sales makes me excited because I think there's hope. And if we keep talking about this stuff, right, and and come up with a a real strategic game plan, I think we can make such a difference. Everybody can make more money and we could do it with a lot less effort and stress and angst. And then, you know, man, share it out there in the world, right? We can really make a difference uh, one person at a time. So thank you so much for being on. I I really enjoyed our conversation. Of course, we're just here to train the robots before they take our jobs. So we're happy to do it. This generation. <laughs> Stop. Just, you're so, you're a the, real robot, right? You told me that before. Every, you're a robot in a man's yeah, form. I'm just Synthesia AI and I'm just talking on the it. chat GPT you're, prompt. You're, Connie figured out how to use AI and she created yes, her own version. Yeah. I'm smart. I'm smart, right? <laughs> there you go. You know, thanks. Thanks again. And you, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Changing the Sales Game with me, your host, Connie Whitman on webtalkradio.com. I am honored to have you on this journey of changing your sales game. And together, my host, my guests and I, I truly hope that we help you move the needle on whatever you need to focus on to change your sales game and or your organization's sales game. Um, so thank you for tuning in every week. I am honored to have you on this journey. I love you all. I wish you an inspired week and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again, chat. Great show. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow. Follow.